for all that you have done in our life. We thank you so much, Father, for uh, the many blessings upon us. Uh, the first blessing we want to thank you for is just for our salvation, for how you have forgiven us of our sins and allowed us to come to you in confession, Lord God, to confess that before you, that Jesus Christ is Lord and how uh, Jesus, he died for our sins. They buried him and on the third day he was risen, Lord God. This is our Savior. We thank you so much for him. Now, Father, we also thank you for the word that we're about to hear. We ask you, Lord God, that you would open our ears and open our minds and our hearts to be receptive to it, Lord God, and all that you have in store for us today, Lord. Help us to understand your word for what, for what you have for us today, but also within the context in which we've been hearing for the last several weeks, Lord. Help us to put it all together. So we love you today, we thank you, and we bless you. And we ask you all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. When I was a kid, we had a neighbor of ours. You've heard me mention this family many times in different contexts before. They had 18 kids that actually lived. They had a total of 21, 22 children altogether. Those other had died in childbirth. And, uh, but uh, several members of that family, they were my good friends. They were my good friends. But one thing I could not understand was they used to have a dog. That dog, it was a German shepherd, and that German shepherd's name was Missy. The German shepherd's name was Missy. And Missy didn't like anyone outside of the family. No one, except those, of course, that Missy would trust. So if you went to their house, you had to call them on the phone first or yell outside of the fence that I'm here because you couldn't just go and knock on their door or ring their doorbell, else Missy would bite you. And you know this would, uh, would be true because when you would walk uh, past their house, there was one sign that was always prevalent on the gates. And you know what I'm talking about. Uh, you remember that, seeing that on your block or seeing that in your neighborhood? That one sign in those red lettering. And that sign would say, beware of dog. They would caution you before uh, uh, you making an attempt to lift up that handle to go into the, uh, the gate. Uh, they would say, beware of dog, because if you would go in that gate where that dog was, you took a risk upon yourself of being bitten by that dog. But because I was a member, sort of a pseudo-member of the family, I never had any problems with Missy. So even though I would see that sign on the gate that said, beware of dog, uh, that I would go and lift up the handle and go to the door and knock on the door. In early stages, Missy would growl at me. And, and then finally, uh, Missy stopped growling at me. I, just, I would just go to the gate and say, hey, Missy, it's me, and walk on in. In fact, sometimes I just walk right into their house. So for the most part, what I would do 
uh, when I would see the beware of dog sign, I would just ignore it. I would ignore the beware of dog sign because Missy knew me. One day, uh, you know how children are, I had on my rain boots, and you remember, it was in the summertime, but I was just being a kid, I had on my rain boots, and you remember those rain boots, or galoshes, whatever they used to call them, that had that little snap that went across, you remember those things? I, and I, they weren't mine, I was too, too young to actually own those, they were maybe a brother or sister or something like that. Anyway, so I had a pair of those that used to snap. So I had gone one day uh, to see my friend in the house uh, with the sign that said, Beware of Dog, with Missy there in the yard. And so I uh, went ahead and lifted up the handle like I always did. And then I went walking, marching up the steps to the door. All of a sudden, Missy comes running. I'm like, Missy, it's me. And, and now Missy, she is uh, it was a female. She was, she was growling. She was running. So I said, This is not going to be good. So God gave me discernment, and I decided to run. So Missy, who I thought I knew that I would have no problem with, now I was running from Missy. And you know that if you're running from a dog, that there is not many places for you to go. And sometimes if the dog is big and bad enough, not even on top of a car. So I ran for a tree. And as I leaped up on the tree away from Missy, Missy grabbed hold of my boot and bit my bit a chunk out of my boot. You see, I thought that I knew dog, but yet in my mind I had ignored the sign that said, beware of dog. There are people in your life, people that you are familiar with, that at the end of the day, they're nothing but dogs. Oh, you think that they're a cuddly teddy bear. Oh, you think that they're stuffed animals, that they can do you no harm. But I'm here to tell you that they are dogs, and Paul tells us today to beware of those dogs. They are those dogs that want to remove the liberty that you have in Jesus Christ. You can't ignore those dogs. There's a saying that goes, if you hang around an onion long enough, that pretty soon you start to smell like an onion. So uh, you, we must beware of dogs, else they have a negative impact on our life. Please turn with me to Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. And I tell you today, not to beware of dog. I tell you to beware of dogs. Paul says here in Philippians 3, beginning in verse 1, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Paul now encourages believers, the Philippians, to rejoice in the Lord. 
in verse 1. And this idea of rejoicing or being joyous in the Lord, it continues to run through uh, in this letter. Uh, we have seen over and over again uh, that uh, there could be points of discouragement for Paul. There could be uh, points of discouragement for uh, the saints at Philippi because Paul was in prison. But Paul says, he says that regardless of what you see, he says to rejoice in the Lord. This is important, Paul says, because it helps to guard the believer. It helps to guard us. To guard us from what? To guard us from that overarching sense of despair and depression due to the nature of a particular season that we may be going through. Because as you know, sometimes life gets tough. But even though life may get tough, uh, that we must rejoice in the Lord, that that is the prime time for us to bring our worship to God. You see, some people, uh, when they get down, some people, when they get depressed, that one of the first things they do is stop going to church. They stop going to church because they just don't feel like going today. Not understanding that in the midst of your worship, that that's when the depression can be lifted from your very soul. So Paul tells us that regardless of what you're going through, and he knew because he was up under the jail. They believe uh, some of those jails that they had put some of those individuals in during that ancient time was uh, nothing uh, more than a cage underneath a house or, or, or some type of facility. So rejoice in the Lord, and in the midst of rejoicing, that we must not forget that one important thing, and that one important thing is Paul says in verse 2, to beware of dogs. A few years ago, some people attempted to make a, a big deal out of the word dog. There were certain people. And the big deal out of the word dog was, uh, don't you know that uh, what the word dog is spelled backwards? You see, they would say, the word dog spelled backwards is God. I'm like, yeah, okay, so where are we going with this whole thing? So if the word dog spelled backwards is God, that tells us that God is not even real. That he's not even worthy to be worshipped. You see, they implied that there was a conspiracy afoot. This was a prevailing thought. I would hear it uh, oftentimes on a regular basis. And these people, however, they never once considered that the spelling of the word dog uh, could have, uh, 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 as far as time chronologically, uh, come after the word God, for which it actually did. The word God, which comes from a German word, Gott, G-O-T-T, actually came after the word God, the German word for God. Neither did these people consider the similarity of the spelling between the words God and the word good. Why didn't they say that, you know, 
uh, God is just like the word good, except with an additional O. Why didn't they bring that to the forefront? But they would ignore that altogether because they had an agenda that they wanted to push, and that agenda was anti-God. But what is a dog anyway? You say, what kind of question is that? What is a dog? We all know what a dog is. Uh, you know that a dog is a descendant of the wolf. Or in other words, a, a dog is a domesticated wolf, also known as man's best what? Friend, man's best friend. But then some have taken the word dog and they have taken it to a different level. Because some people say that an unattractive woman, yep, they call an unattractive woman a dog. So ladies, before you say, well, why would he say that? I hear you. Here it is. I know you're waiting on it, right? But some have also used the word dog to categorize those men who have no regard of women. He ain't nothing but a... Yeah, uh -huh, yeah there it is. But then, uh, dog is also an abbreviated name for that nitrate rich and sodium-filled a cylindrical, a pinkish foodstuff called a hot dog. But when God's word tells us to look out for the dogs or to uh, beware of dogs, does it refer to an unattractive woman? And you would say what? Absolutely not. Uh, does it refer to a no good man? No, uh, does it refer to uh, the hot dog? Uh, does it refer to man's best friend? In biblical times, it was common to hear Jews refer to Gentiles. If you were not a Jew, you would be a Gentile. It was common for Jews to refer to Gentiles as a dog. Because dogs, like swine, like shrimp, were all, or lobster or crab, uh, they were all considered to be animals that were ritually impure. They were unclean. But also remember that priests could not enter the temple if they were unclean. But the average person could also be unclean, and they had to stay away from the general population like lepers. Remember, uh, if you had a leprosy uh, and you saw a person, you had to walk down the street and says, leper, leper. In other words, stay away from me. I am unclean, and I will make you unclean as well. And if you had leprosy in your house, you had to literally tear down and burn your house down because that leprosy was no walk in the park. So if you were unclean, 
You had no access to the Lord because some type of inherent sinfulness. So during that ancient time, those who were not of the Jewish heritage and did not know the Lord or his ways were thought of being unclean or being as dull, especially the Gentiles. And in their minds, dogs were most miserable. They were most loathed uh, uh, of all creatures. Herds of dogs would, uh, would be seen roaming the streets without a home, without an owner, eating garbage and fighting among themselves. And then they would also attack uh, people who would pass by them. But recall even Jesus at one time that he referred to a woman as a dog. Yeah, Jesus referred to a woman as a dog. You need to look at this. Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 26. Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 26. And it says here, Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, this is Jesus said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. So the Syrophoenician woman, her daughter, uh, all of them as a group, that Jesus was referring to them as dogs. Verse 28 but she answered him, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. So in this case, Jesus largely referred to the woman as being a non-Jew, even though she is still unclean according to Old Testament law. But this speaks more to Jesus' purpose. Jesus was saying that I've come basically for the house of Israel. You see, this is what he was saying. He was not uh, denigrating her per se. He says that my purpose and my goal first is to deal with the house of Israel. This is the reason I came. But remember this. If you're asking yourself the question, if Jesus says, why uh, that, that I've come for the house of Israel, uh, uh, where did the rest of us come in at? See, the problem was Jesus came for the house of Israel, and once the house of Israel came, then their responsibility was to do what? Do you know what their responsibility was? They were supposed to go now out into the rest of the world, and guess what? Tell the rest of the world about Jesus Christ. But what happened? As a whole, and their leaders, they rejected Jesus Christ. And when they rejected Jesus Christ, Jesus says, all right, you want to play this game? Then, okay, you don't know, obviously you don't know who you're dealing with, so therefore, let me go to the Gentiles. You see, uh, we all still should have been saved, but it was first to the house of Israel. See, 
So what he was saying to the Syrophoenician woman, he was telling her, look, that I've come first to save them, and you're going to get yours when they're saved. But since they rejected him, Jesus went ahead and did what for the Syrophoenician woman's daughter? He healed her. He was not demeaning her. Because ultimately he gave her what she asked of him. So it would be too easy to settle on those other previous definitions and make a statement about dogs in Philippians 3.2. But that would still lead us to error. Would you believe after I've explained all of those through that none of those definitions is appropriate for Philippians 3 verse 2? None. Reading further in our scripture there, Philippians 3.2, again, we get a better picture of where Paul was trying to go to. Right? Again, let's read it. Philippians 3.2. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Let's read that again. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who do what? Who mutilate, uh, say it again, who do what? Who mutilate the flesh. Here again, Paul is telling us, beware of dogs. Watch out for those dogs. When Paul says this, are these three separate groups of people? Are you saying, oh, watch out for the dogs, number one. Watch out for that group. Number two, watch out for the evildoers. That's the second group. And then number three, watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. Is he saying, watch out for them, for them, and for them? Or is he saying, watch out for those who are part of this entire group? I believe that he is talking about the same people. That he's using vivid language to describe these that he was warning the Philippians about. Uh, you need to beware. You need to look out. Uh, be warned about those dogs. So what is he talking about? Here Paul is talking about certain false teachers. There it is. Certain false teachers who claim even to be Christians. Certain false teachers who claim to be Christians. These are the evildoers. As they push to return believers to the bondage uh, of the ways which generation after generation of the Jews themselves could not even measure up to. They were saying that uh, even though you are a Christian, that you must be circumcised. If you are not circumcised, they were saying, you cannot really, truly, and honestly worship Jesus Christ. There's nothing like those people who come into your life that once you thought you were free, that they want to bring you back down to the gutter. Isn't that something some of you, you know, once you come to the Lord, Jesus Christ, that some of those same people, uh, some of those people from the past, 
They say, yeah, I remember when we used to do X, Y, and Z. Remember when we used to have fun? Remember we used to do this? Oh, come on, come on back. It ain't going to hurt nothing. They try to pull you back down from whence you came. And you're trying to tell them, hold on now. I am free in Jesus Christ. Why do you want to pull me back down into the gutter? So he says, beware of dogs. But the last word there in verse 2, it really does not say fully in the original language, uh, watch out for the mutilation of the flesh. It really says this. It says, look out for the mutilation." Look out for the mutilation. Paul refers to them, this is a group of people called the mutilation, because these are the people who want to return to the practice of circumcision. But Paul is saying he's calling them the the mutilation because what they want to do is to cause a a brutal dissection, causing great grief, and harm to the believers. Why do I say this? Because notice in our text, our text does not say, look out for the circumcision, does it? Specifically, it says what? Look out for the mutilation. What comes to mind when you think of mutilation? In fact, what comes to mind when you think of circumcision? Paul mentions mutilation because it is crass. It is undesirable. It is disfiguring. I know most men would probably say, well, circumcision is that too. But Paul is making a distinction between circumcision, from which God called them uh, to, to, to undertake, and mutilation. It's totally different from circumcision in that it does not glorify the Lord, but instead, uh, mutilation causes a monstrous effect. Mutilation causes injury, while circumcision delivers spiritual conformity and unification with the Lord. So, okay, if that's the case, If God says that you shall be circumcised, you shall not be mutilated, uh, should we therefore be circumcised? But see, Paul was saying, remember, recall, he was saying of these dogs that they wanted you to become circumcised, but Paul was not calling them of the circumcision party. He was calling them of the mutilation party. So there was something wrong with what they were trying to accomplish. So does it mean you should be circumcised? And those of you who are in Christ, that you should be circumcised physically, and those of you in Christ would answer what? No. But my next question is this. If you say that you must be circumcised, how then were women circumcised in the Old Testament? How 
were women circumcised in the Old Testament. And if you've read your Bible, you would simply give me the answer that they were not circumcised, period. They were not circumcised, only the men. Then how could they be pleasing before the Lord? Because of God's grace and God's mercy. You see, God's grace did not start in the New Testament. God has always been gracious. God has always issued grace to all of humanity. He was always kind. He was always merciful. Women were not, were allowed to bring sacrifices to the priest just as men did. Women were allowed to bring sacrifice to priests just as men. They just were not circumcised. But one thing uh, that's also very important to remember when I ask you the question, when did circumcision begin anyway? Did circumcision begin in the law? And again, your answer to me should be absolutely not. No. Because who gave the law? God gave the law, but who was that person who, was, uh, who brought the law forth? And it was who? It was Moses, right? We all agree on that. Yes? Remember Mount Sinai, Ten Commandments? The, uh, you know, uh, who was it? Uh, uh, what's the guy's name from Ten Commandments? Char Charlton Heston, right? And the finger of God, you know, emblazing on, on the rock, the Ten Commandments, right? But look at Genesis chapter 17, verse 10. Genesis 17, 10. Genesis 17, 10. This is my, com uh, my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male, see, it doesn't say female, it says male, women say, thank goodness, every male among you shall be what? How many years? Was, was Moses born then? Moses was not even born. So circumcision came before the law. Therefore, those women, they were acceptable through God's grace, just like people were before them. How acceptable are you to God? Is it through the works of the flesh? Or is it through the work of Christ Jesus? But whether you were a man or a woman, a boy or a girl, circumcision still didn't mean anything if your heart was not in agreement to what you supposedly represent. Because there were many people who were circumcised that were not obedient to God, who ended up in hell. Yes, I said that. And I am talking about some of those folks from the Old Testament. There were folks in the Old Testament who were circumcised who still ended up in hell. So this was the very thing that got the Israelites in trouble because of their heart. They thought, because if I would just do good, I would be okay with God. Let me just do this one act and I'll be okay. 
And they were wrong because your actions and your works will never replace the deficiency of heart in us. And this is the very point that Paul was trying to make to the rest of us and he was trying to make to the Philippians. It is not through works or actions, but through faith in Christ who also changes the heart. If Jesus Christ, who is God, is unable to change our hearts, then you know we are unable to change our own heart. If God, who's all-powerful, cannot change your heart or to allow your heart to be changed, then you know that you can't do it, that we need the intercession of the Holy Spirit, that we need Jesus Christ. While the sacrifices of animals substituted for people, they could never do for us what Jesus did for us. So the true circumcision are those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. The true circumcision are those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. Philippians 3, verse 3. Paul says, for we are the circumcision. We are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. I can't put any confidence in my flesh. So circumcision means you are accepted by God through Jesus Christ. Remember verse 2, it states that dogs were evildoers who mutilated the flesh. It was not circumcision, but mutilation. Self-circumcision only turns us into monsters. But now Paul uses, uh, you have to notice this distinction as well, uh, Paul uses a different word here. Remember in verse 2, he called them the mutilation, right? But now a different word is used. He uses the word circumcision. And circumcision is the act for which God approves. Romans chapter 2 verse 28. Romans 2 28. Paul says for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Now, one of the things I, you know, I've been quiet for a really long time about. I refuse to be quiet about it any longer. This, uh, the, the fact that uh, Israel can do no wrong. I'm talking about current day Israel can do no wrong. This is what I'm saying. Right? I think that we should support allies, but remember, in our minds and in our thinking that there should be a distinction between spiritual Israel and political Israel. So just because Israel decides to bomb uh, the nation of Israel politically, secularly, decide to bomb uh, somebody out. We can't support that if it's unjustified. Because at the end of the day, 
if you are Israel and you are simply secular, you're still going to hell. You're still going to hell. You see, Revelation makes a distinction. Even though there will be those from Israel uh, who have the biological leanings, uh, 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 DNA from uh, the Hebrews, that will be true, but they will also know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So if they are a Jew, you don't just automatically support them, right? They still must be righteous. They still must be just in the person of Jesus Christ. And just like you would never support anyone in the United States who does not know Jesus Christ, who's doing anything to anyone else, you wouldn't automatically support them. Neither should we automatically support those who call themselves a Jew who could care less about God, who's more interested in doing secular things and hurting people, right? There is a distinction. This is all true, what God says about Israel, and we must pray for the peace of spiritual Israel, right? Those who love Jesus Christ. But Paul says, for Jew is not one who's one outwardly, we just read it, uh, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but it is one who is what? One who is what? Inwardly. True acceptance from the Lord comes not through the actions of the hand, but through faith, through Jesus Christ. If there is no faith, there is no circumcision of heart, which God requires of us. So this false teaching was not new to Paul because from the very beginning the apostles had to fight it. Uh, you know, there's one thing that's just raging in my mind. I was trying to hold it back, but it will not allow me to hold back. Uh, uh, someone sent me uh, just this past week. Uh, there's a group of individuals. They were uh, African Americans downtown, and they had a breakdown of who the true Jews were. I'm not sure if you've seen that. And when you look at their breakdown, you would notice that all the 12 tribes, they all were from African descent people, African Americans, uh, Jamaicans, and Haitians, and, and so on and so forth. These were the 12 tribes of Israel. But even their very premise from where they started uh, for their whole discussion was wrong. They mentioned about Ham, and they had him all mixed up in the wrong order of things you have to do is know what the word of God says and oftentimes you can see that stuff instantly because when you have when you have a big error like that you're beginning your discussion with an error then you need to say hold up then where is this taking us where is this taking us watch out for the dogs amen I, I'm going to tell you I don't care if Jesus is black white or Chinese or anything else in between if he's really the son of God, if he's the God, whatever he, looks, whatever he looks like, I'm following him. Now, if you say that you'd rather go to hell if, if, if Jesus is white, then see you later. Because I'm not of that sort. I am going to follow the Jesus of scripture. And if you want to follow the Jesus of your own imagination, then you got it. And I hope that you would wake up one day. So, but this false teaching was something that the apostles were, were already dealing with for a period of time. Look at Acts 15, verse 1. Acts 15, verse 1. Acts 15. 
Peter and the rest of the apostles were already dealing with this. Remember, uh, Paul kind of came after the fact, even though he was in the, mix, uh, the, the, the midst of all of this, they were already dealing with this. It's very true. Paul, I think Barnabas was part of this discussion here in Acts 15.1. It says here, but some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers. Here's the te- teaching. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. You see? They wanted to take them back into bondage. And see, Scripture also tells us if you uh, are, are, are found in fault in one point of the law, guess what? You are guilty of it all. So if you start keeping the law according to the law, that you have to keep everything. So if you decide that I'm going to keep circumcision, now you have to watch out the kind of clothes you wear, how you wear your hair, right? How men and women sit in a place together, right? The types of food that you have to eat, how you worship, right? Or if you're ready to worship like that, then you will be part of the law. And if you reject Jesus Christ, you will not be saved. Your works are unable to save you or your family. But should we be holy? Yes, we should be holy. Peter, in his leadership role there in Acts 15.1 at the Jerusalem Council, stated now in Acts 15, verse 8, and God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? See what he's saying? He's saying that we can't live up to the hype. We can't live up to it. We can't bear it. Generation after generation after generation of Jews continue to fall flat. Verse 11. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. So the next question for you then is this. Has your heart been circumcised by the sacrifice of our risen Savior? Jesus Christ. Now, if it has, then uh, what would be the evidence of that faith? Or are you simply the same old person, but now you just go to church, right? So Jesus should have done something special in your life. There should be a change in your life. You should not be acting the same way. What has changed about you? Is God convicting you, or do you continue to reject the Lord where you may not be saved? If your heart has been circumcised by the sacrifice of Christ, then the Spirit dwells in you who then allocates to you true worship. So true circumcision brings forth true worship. We think we can boast in who we are or what we do, but it does not measure up to the work of Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. Now Paul says this, right? You're talking about circumcision. Let me, he says, let, let, let me tell you a thing or two about me. He says this. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, 
If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. How many of you have that resume, have that on your resume? As to righteousness under the law, blameless. He said he was righteous. He was, uh, Paul says that he was so righteous that he was going around persecuting the church. What have you accomplished or what is your pedigree? According to the law, Paul, uh, according to the law, Paul says he can check out all the boxes and be qualified to have confidence in the flesh. For Paul, the confidence of the flesh speaks his progeny and his passion for what he thought to be true. His heritage in his pedigree states that he was physically circumcised on the eighth day. So notice that he begins this whole thing. He says, wait a minute, you're talking about circumcision, you mutilation. I want you to know that on the eighth day that I was circumcised. It's extremely important to, for, for, for folks to understand. They needed to understand that uh, even though uh, I am telling you you don't need to be circumcised, I want you to know that I was circumcised because I thought I was doing the right thing. Or at least my parents thought that they were doing the right thing. He was an Israelite from the tribe of Benjamin who were feisty and also the tribe where the first king of Israel was from. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews, meaning others in the nation looked up to him because of him being a stickler for all things Jewish. Concerning adherence to the law, he was also a stickler. He made sure that he followed it uh, to the letter. He dotted all his I's. He crossed all his T's, right? He made sure he had a period at the end of his sentence. He made sure that everything was right according to the law. He was passionate for things he thought were correct. So much so that he persecuted the church and even gave his approval that someone would even die. Huh. Acts chapter 7. Verse 60. Acts chapter 7, verse 60. I'm going to start there. I'm going to read a few verses. This is Stephen. And falling to his knees, it says of Stephen, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against him. And when he said this, had said this, he fell asleep. In other words, he died. Chapter 8, verse 1. And Saul approved of his execution. And we know Saul to be Paul, because God changed his name. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. Uh, but Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Huh. As far as the law was concerned, Paul said he was blameless. He did what he thought he was supposed to do, and he was not ashamed of it. He could care less about your Jesus. Isn't that exactly how it goes? We think we're doing right in life. 
until we encounter Jesus Christ. Have you come face to face with Jesus? Now, we may not have had the same background as Paul, but many of us have backgrounds in which we're proud of. We're proud of our families. And some folks I know they're part, uh, they're part of and they're proud of the street gangs in which they're a member of. Now, even though I, I, I need to make, I need to say this as well, a lot of times we always, you know, talk about certain people, you know, uh, street gangs, that they're bad. But, you know, uh, one thing I realized some time ago that, you know, sometimes, you know, politicians are also part of street gangs. They just don't call them that. They just call them other things because they go around terrorizing people in this nation, go around hiding it. So we have to understand that as they marginalize and discriminate against other folks. Not all, because there are a lot of good men and women politicians, so we must celebrate them. But that some of them are also part of a street gang. They just have more highfalutin titles. You see, just blaming it on, all on the urban culture, which, by the way, if you didn't know that sometimes when people are talking about the urban culture, that that is cold word for minorities. It is a cop-out because minorities don't control institutions like uh, most institutions like banks and schools and governments. Think about this. When the opioid crisis finally began to hit the white community, they wanted to do something about it. They wanted to stop criminalizing individuals who became victims due to their circumstances and try to understand how did they get this way. But remember years ago when crack was a problem, marijuana was a big problem, was illegal. It's like, you know what? Three strikes and you're out. Never once did anyone say, well, how did they get in this position in the first place? Maybe their circumstances was that in which they could not control. Let's see if we can get them help. Why should we make them criminals instead of saying that maybe they're victims? No one ever thought about their circumstances or what they went through causing them to try it and get hooked in the first place. Some come from broken home where dad is not there. Whoever fault that is, that's just a matter of fact. They were not interested in that, only in simply getting them out of the street. So we must beware of dogs, whether they're trying to take away our liberty as Christians, or whether they're trying to hijack how we're thinking about our faith. You see, our faith, it is, should be integrated in all of life. I think when Paul warns us to beware of dogs, he was referring to anyone that would steal our liberty. Wrong is wrong, brothers and sisters. But we must have our minds stayed on Christ. We must be lovers of Jesus Christ who saved us. You want freedom? Find Jesus. You want to stay away from the dogs? Put on your Jesus glasses. He will show you where the dogs are. 
So be warned, brothers and sisters, that there are packs of wild dogs running around trying to steal away your liberty in Christ. They want to mutilate the flesh of your freedom, the flesh of the freedom that you have found in Christ by accepting uh, their doctrines that, are, uh, that contradict the liberty that we have. Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, there is freedom. Do you have the freedom in Christ? Brothers and sisters, beware of dogs. Don't play around with them. Don't play games with them. Because once, when you think that they are your friends, just like Missy when I was a kid, they're going to turn on you. And they're going to bite you right where you don't want to be bitten. As a matter of fact, Missy bit me another time. Bit me right in my calf, from which I still have a scar this day. Because I was not looking out for that dog. Boy, was I wrong. Thank God for his word, because today we know better. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for your grace and your mercy that you have bestowed upon us. Lord, continue to have your way with us. May grace, mercy, peace, and love be our mainstay in Jesus Christ as we walk fully in him today. Father, we love you today. May you have your way with us. Now, if there's anyone in here today uh, that would like a relationship with Jesus Christ, you were born a sinner. You, yes, you, all of us were born sinners. And if you were to die today, you would end up in hell. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. So it is a fact that you are, Lord, we were born sinners. Is anyone in here today that says, I want to repent of my sin and I place my faith in Jesus Christ who died on the cross for me, who was buried and was raised from the dead on the third day. Him alone who can redeem you. Is there anyone here today who'd like to give your life to Christ? Lift your hand in the air. We want to pray with you. Is there one in